You want me to do the intro? Yeah, go for it. It's recording, whatever you want to say. Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Settle in, turn up the volume, and get ready for another great episode. Yeah, let's rock and roll. <laughs> you got it. I got it. All right, cheers, brother. Let's yeah. let's kick this off officially. So you're the American Grown Podcast. One year in, here we go. Oh, this is going to be a special one. I just got a feeling. Welcome to the American Grown Podcast, hosted by Austin Sullivan. The American Grown Podcast will focus on people from different walks of life and their journey to where they are now. Now, turn up your volume and settle in for a great episode. Hi, I'm Austin Sullivan. This is the American Grown Podcast, recorded inside the Color Tech creative solutions studios today we have taylor shepley survey manager and drone operator at keystone custom homes shep welcome to episode 28 of the american grown podcast appreciate it sully it's truly an honor to be here appreciate it uh, i'll be honest i was i filled out the form kind of expecting to be a filler if needed but it's uh you got your own episode. Yeah. One year in. Something special. This is one year for one year episode. The one year anniversary. So I gotta say congrats to you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. And you brought me a a bottle of old Forrester bourbon for those of you listening. Uh, you were probably like my number one supporter. I'm pretty sure you listen to every episode. You probably know him better than I do. If I try I, I try to, yeah. I mean, uh since we're a year in, they're starting to kind of blend together a little bit here and there, yeah. but you definitely have your standouts. You're a good friend, a godfather to my daughter, Parker. And yeah, like I said, we're here to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the American Grown Podcast. Insert uh, godfather movie quote here. There you go. Perfect. Hey, let's <laughs> cheers to that one year. Cheers to Parker. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Well, some of the topics we want to hit on include surveying. You know, that's your full-time job. You're killing it, doing a fantastic job. Drones and drone operations. And then also, you know, the great outdoors and just, just life in general. So uh, to start off... I got to ask you, how was driving in here to, to Lebanon? You're a surveyor, right? So you yeah. know the roads in Lebanon. What do you think of them? I mean, they're interesting for sure. The way I came was I came down the turnpike, hopped on 72, and then it's just those weird interchanges, man. Yeah, it's you brutal. Know, it's like go straight, but it's actually right. Go uh-huh. go right, but it's actually kind of straight. And then it's like sharp right, veer right, straight <laughs> left, and... You get your five and six way interchanges. It gets pretty hairy. <laughs> yeah, my take on it being local, living here in Lebanon, the roads are shit. I don't know. I'm not a surveyor, an expert in any of this. Driving, just driving around town, teeth are chattering. It's so bad out there. Seriously, I don't know if you've seen how dug up our roads are. It's it's brutal. So what was life like being raised in rural Pennsylvania? Yeah. So I mean, where I grew up, Lower Northumberland County, not a whole lot of. Uh, you know, like major cities or anything like that. You have your your towns with pretty big populations. For reference, Sully, so how many how many kids were in your graduating class? Oh man, I think we had four to five hundred. Okay, so when I graduated, Line Mountain High School, we had what was considered a big class at the time, um, and we graduated a hundred. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think the class before us had around sixty five. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, it fluctuates depending on, you know, the years and stuff like that. But it, it's definitely a, a rural area. From what I understand, it's actually 
one of the larger school districts by area. Okay. But it's not densely populated at all. So, you know, you're covering that big area, but yeah. you're only getting 50 to 100 Jeez. kids a class. So. Wow. In high school, what sports? What did you do for fun? A musician? What did you do for fun, really? Yeah, growing up, I, uh, I did baseball and football up until about middle school. Uh, I did JV baseball my freshman year. But middle school is really the, the point when I transitioned from uh, sports to music. So uh, baseball, Little League, loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of sprouted up early. So I was one of the bigger kids on the team. First base. Because okay. I had the height, I had the reach, yeah, and I was a lefty. That makes sense. Oh, so perfect. Yeah, so being a lefty, you pretty much have the option of first base, pitcher, or the outfield. Okay. Because anywhere else is, I mean, you can do it by all means, but it's it's certainly inconvenient. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did do catching for a little bit, but you know that that was tough. Yeah, it takes a, your knees brutal. Well, brutal. not only that, but as a lefty, like mo- a majority of the batters are right-handed batters. Okay. So when you're facing a right-handed batter catching. You know, the gloves on your right hand and you're trying to throw with your left and the batter's right it's there. right there in your way. Yeah. And I, I didn't have the, the strength for the pitcher, but I did have the reach for first, first base. base. Okay. So, yeah, that, that was fun. Uh, football, right tackle, defensive end. Were you right tackle? Yeah, I was right tackle. I did defensive end a little bit, but again, it was a little league, so it's like nothing mm. nothing too crazy. You know, you, you know the playbooks by, by the numbers if you're going right or left and – when you're playing defense, all you're doing is going after the guy with the yeah, ball. Right. <laughs> Pancake him. Yeah, not not a whole yeah. lot of strategy to it, at least not for me. But then, yeah, so my career with music, I mean, it started off early. I, I took piano lessons from when I was in, let's see here, first grade, I think it was, up until I was a junior in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah, so music's always been a part of my life. And where do you think that that came from? Grandmother, mother? So, I don't. My my mother's mother was in band, and both my mom and my aunt they were in band. Uh, my mom played the flute, my aunt played the clarinet. But I th- I think what really sunk sunk it in was uh, my mom started taking piano lessons when she was pregnant with me, okay. and she stopped when she got too big that she couldn't actually reach the <laughs> yeah. keys anymore. Yeah. So I, I I think that definitely has a a play into what got me into music and and the piano. Yeah. But I started doing band in fifth grade. Was playing, went, went and did the trumpet. My dad also played the trumpet too. Okay. Um, but yeah, I did the I did the trumpet fifth, sixth grade. Um, and then from how our school was built up, you it was considered like elementary from kindergarten through sixth grade. And then seventh grade, you go to junior high. And okay. it was seventh and eighth junior high, and then ninth through twelfth high school. So um, I made that transition up to junior high. I just did concert band, musical, my seventh grade year. But then eighth grade is when I started doing the marching band, jazz band, pit pit orchestra, pretty much anything they had that I could play something in. Um, I did kind of bounce back and forth between the trumpet and the piano when it came to like jazz band and orchestra outside of school. Um, I, <laughs> I became the, 
the local substitute organist for all of the Lutheran churches in the valley. Really? Yeah. So yeah. I, I started off playing at one, and then word got around, and sure enough, you know, I'm getting the phone calls. Hey, can you cover for me this week? You know, yeah. this Sunday. So you're playing at all two probably in your little community. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> how many? How many? How many did you so play at? Do you think? I over the years, I think I played at max 10 churches no way yeah wow so i I, I had my regulars you know i had i think four or five churches that i kind of built a rapport with and then there was other like sister churches in the area that they would sometimes share organists so it's like oh hey the normal substitute that i fill in for at a different church is their substitute at that church so and then you know the holidays easter um, Lenten services, that whole thing. So I uh, started doing that. And then that led me to a uh, brief stint as a uh, music director in one of the churches. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. So I, I did the did the organist on Sundays, and then um, I directed the, the choir and the bell choir. We had a handbell choir, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you still, to this day, do the handbell. Yeah. So since since we moved down to mechanicsburg here uh we fast forward a little bit but yeah, yeah fast forward we're gonna jump around yeah, I'm yeah. sure well we got bourbon going so we got <laughs> so fast forward i moved to mechanicsburg found a church down here that also has a, a actually a bigger handbell choir than what what, what i had so yeah. that was the only church in the area that had a handbell choir so i didn't really know much about it and then i came down here and they're like oh yeah we go to these festivals and you know you had four octaves but there's actually like eight octaves and really? they, they have huge bells man she, it, it, it's crazy like yeah take two hands to ring or so once they actually yeah. get a certain size they go from bronze or brass to aluminum mm. because they just get too heavy so it's a lighter material yeah so yeah. it's a lighter material but still i mean the the, the biggest bell they have is probably almost three feet in wow. circumference in diameter yeah wow it's crazy that is crazy you know music has always been in your life and still is after high school was it always to go to you know penn state i mean that's huge in pa you know everybody wants to go penn state you know yep. unless you're way west then it's pit and if you're in nah, philly we don't, we don't say pit here shit on pit right <laughs> right <laughs> if you're in philly then you go to temple you know or something like that or yeah. uh, villanova or whatever so was that always the plan to kind of give some background on my career choices yeah growing up for the longest time as far back as i can remember i loved seeing the pendot crews out the road okay. i thought i thought what they were doing was the coolest thing ever you know i, I would kind of like I, I don't want to say learn how to read, but I practice my reading by reading all the road signs. Yeah. And when you're in a construction zone, I mean, there's signs everywhere. So, right. you know, that, that's plenty of source material. Yeah, right? exactly. So, right. So I, I thought that was the coolest thing. Did that actually as a summer internship between my, I think I did it for two or three years from like junior year up until my, uh, after my freshman year in college, just as a, a flagger. And then I yeah. would, you know man the shovel <laughs> okay but still I, I got to experience all that and i thought it was cool so when it came to figuring out what kind of career i wanted i wanted to try and do something similar to that um and it kind of kind of led me to bridges yeah i did a few summer camps in in elementary school where they you know you do like the build a bridge out of balsa wood or toothpicks and then put a bunch oh, yeah. of weight on it I know and figure it out. yeah it's pretty cool stuff yeah so they, fun, you know yeah. they taught you about the different types of bridges and what kind of weight they support and everything else 
you know, I, I had a interest in bridges, which, you know, it was like, okay, well, who, who designs bridges? And it was right. civil engineers. Up until probably my senior year in high school, I was like, I'm going to be a civil engineer. I'm going to be a civil engineer. This is what I'm going to okay. do. Mindset. I, you're yeah, focused. Yeah, mindset. You know, yep. I'm starting to look at this and I'm like, okay, you know, what are some schools in the area? You know, Penn State was obviously one of them. Uh, Bucknell, that was another local one that had a good engineering department I was looking at. And then we got to, I think it was my junior year of high school when we had to do our senior project. I might've actually been senior year. I guess senior project kind of gives it away. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, but I'm not going to argue with yeah, you. Yeah. So the, our senior project was, you know, pick a career that you would consider. If you have one that you are thinking you want to go to, pick that. If you don't, find something you might be interested in. Yeah. So of course, what did I do? Civil engineering. Civil engineering, yeah. of course, right. So yeah. I researched the crap out of civil engineering. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. I figured out what the education requirements are, what the salary, you know, what the, the job entails. And I realized it's a desk job. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be riding a desk nine to five. I was like, man, I don't want to yeah. do that. And that, that's kind of when reality sank in. So I'm like, okay. Maybe civil engineering isn't it, but I can find something else. Um, I was big in yearbook at the time. Okay. I, I loved we were... do, doing the yearbook in high school. So I looked at photography, and I realized, you know, I I enjoy doing it, but I don't necessarily have that artistic mindset kind of side thing. of my brain that yeah. is like, you know, National Geographic quality photos. Right, right. <clears throat> so... I kind of looked around. I was like, okay, so what's similar to civil engineering that involves working outside? You know, I love being outdoors. And I found surveying as an option. Had no idea what surveying was at the time. I kind of talked to my school counselors. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to stick with civil engineering for my senior project. But I'm not sure, like, this is what I actually want to do. So, ironically... My mom had a friend whose son was a surveyor. So um, I was able to set up two job shadowing, one through the school and one through uh, my mom's friend, which both actually ended up hiring me at some point. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah that so, says a you lot. Know, it, it's yeah. networking from high school. That, it's you know, very it's, important networking. Yep. Yeah. So I job shadowed both of those, and I got two totally different experiences from both. Um, the The one guy I shadowed, he kind of gave me like the office side of surveying and the, the map making, which I loved. Yeah. I loved the drafting of it. And, um, the second one was, um, more of the field experience. So I got to go out with a field crew. They were doing some work along the power line, showing me all the equipment, which I had never seen before. Right. And I'm like, you guys are carrying around a computer and a, you know, super powered <laughs> GPS. This is the coolest thing since yeah. sliced bread, you know? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think that was kind of the, the first point where I kind of fell in love with surveying. Again, looking back, I had no idea what all surveying entailed. I thought it was just, you know, boundary surveys and making plans. And I'm like, I can do that day in and day out, you know. Right. Especially the plan making. Because I, I, I took drafting in high school. I yeah. loved it. I was, you know, my dad, he's in construction. He would come home with a, a plan set from whatever job he was working on. 
and kind of walk me through, you know, like, okay, so this is what these line means. This is a, what they call a dimension, which is a measurement of that line scaled. You know, obviously it says 40 feet on paper. Yeah. It's not 40 feet of paper. So plans and maps always kind of had a special place in my heart. And I'm glad that I was able to find it with, yeah, with surveying. Seriously. Yeah. So you have that experience. Then you go to, to Penn State. What, what was yeah, that? I, well, no, I no, you asked about Penn yeah, State. Sorry, no, I went good. on a tangent. No, there. no, no. What was um, that like? You know, uh, I know you're a big Penn State fan, as many are. Ironically, when I found surveying, I started to do the research. It's like, okay, so what schools offer surveying programs? Um, at the time, I was looking for a bachelor's degree. Okay. And the only one that was remotely close to being local um, was Penn State Wilkesbury. And I think they were one of around 11 in the entire country that I could find that offered a bachelor's wow. degree in surveying. Yeah. 11 in the whole country. Wow. Yeah. And now it's, it's kind of, it's been almost 10 years since I've been out of college now. So, you know, some schools, the programs folded, some of them, they are bringing in new programs. So it kind of varies. I don't know what the exact number is now, but I found Penn State Wilkesbury and I'm like, okay, let's go up and take a look at it. So my junior year, you know, spring of my junior year, I'm going up there looking and um, I fell in love with it. So it's about 20 minutes outside of Wilkesbury in the back mountain area. It's, I don't want to say suburbs, it's still pretty rural, but it's more more populated than what I'm I'm growing up with. So, you know, we, we walked through the campus and there were deer in the in the walking path. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty Yeah. So yeah. I, I felt like I was right at, at home. home. You know, you I'm like, this right is in. perfect. Yeah. yeah. So um I I knew from the get go it's like, okay, I'm doing surveying. I'm applying to Penn State Wilkesbury. I'm going for my bachelor's degree. That's it. Yeah. So that was the yeah. only school I applied to. I had no plan really? B. Really? That was the only school. Yep. All I, in. I had no plan B. And thankfully, you know, I got accepted. It worked out. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. yeah. So um, I got up there and loved it. I mean, you know, it was a smaller community campus. Yeah. You know, it was a university park, so like class sizes. As far as the surveying program goes, I think there were between 20 and 30 kids in the entire program. So wow. my, my surveying classes were, you know, 10 to 15 kids. Really? Yeah. That's perfect. I mean, really. Cause and then... e- even the gen eds, like the, the bigger yeah. math courses, they were still only like, maybe 25 30 kids on some of the bigger ones yeah wow so uh, you definitely get the one-on-one experience that's nice yeah shout out to uh penn state like seriously uh wilkes see i say wilkes bear it's wilkes bear it's a uh what is it depends on who you ask how do you say it i say wilkesbury wilkesbury sometimes i'll slip in the the wilkes bear wilkes bear yeah wilkes um, bear there's always wilkes bar but whoa no yeah, it's it's a no it's, no it's an ongoing debate <laughs> don't so throw that in there it depends on who you ask okay. but it's, um, i mean that says a lot about them cuz i mean the smaller class sizes like you said one on ones you get better to, i think you can learn better rather yeah. than you know having hundreds or you know even 50 60 kids to a class and and one thing that really helped me was they uh they it was called SSS, Student Support Services. So um, I was a first-generation college kid, you know, growing up in a, a rural area. A lot There wasn't a whole lot of people at the time that from my parents' generation that would have gone to college. So I was a first-generation college kid, went up there, had no idea what to really expect. You know, all the paperwork, the application process, right. didn't really know a whole lot going in and— 
the the people at SSS. I'm, they, they hold a special place in my heart. Yeah. I still go up um, whenever I'm in the area. I'll stop by and see who's still there. Um, shout out to Gail. And she, they helped me a lot through the, not only just the, the tutoring, but I had switched majors. I went from the bachelor's degree to the associate's degree. And okay. that was a, a heavy decision that really like, it was a major life decision that right. I'm kind of making on a whim here. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of sat, they sat me down. They talked me through everything. They said, okay, you know, if you stick with the path you're at here, there's a lot of unknowns, but you're definitely going to be staying at least another year. And right. if you do switch to the associates, you already have a lot of your courses taken care of. The only thing you really need to do is stay an extra semester, get your surveying courses. As long as you pass all those, you, you should be good. Um, so, you know, I they, they sat me down, they walked me through everything, and ultimately helped me make that decision. You know, obviously yeah. at the end of the day, it was my decision, but they, they gave me what I needed to yeah. understand fully what decision I was making. For any colleges or anybody that might be listening, you know, high school students going into college, get with your counselors, get with these, these people that, you know, that's what they're paid to do is to, to help you make these tough decisions when you're young, you know, cause you don't, you don't know my, my time at Kutztown just to, I'm not trying to go off subject. No, but, uh, it's, it's all good I, material here. But. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> it. So, you know, I never, I never really met or even talked to a counselor there. And I feel like had they maybe gotten involved at like early on, you know, and, and, and had those conversations and I know they have a lot of students, you know, they can't sit with everybody, but maybe they could have, uh, you know, kept me then for, for, you know, all three years. Uh, I, I just did my freshman year at Kutztown. Mm-hmm. Um, I went for, you know, as you know, um, graphic design and arts and things like that. But then I quickly learned that you can't just draw stick figures and get past. So you're at Penn State. You know, I know you have a very tight-knit friend group, right? You're from a small rural high school. I mean, very small. I mean, like I said, I had four or 500 graduate graduate kids with me. I don't even know half of them. You know, my buddies I do have, you know, we talk from time to time. But, uh, you know, it's not as close as I feel like your group was. So when you went to Penn State, and maybe I'm fast forwarding, you can fill it in, but when did you meet your wife, Hannah? So, um, as you said, you know, growing up in a rural area, it you basically know everybody, you know, the family they belong to, you know, you know, where they live, where the families live, you know, it, it's a, a very tight knit community. Um, and I'm thankful to still have a pretty large group of friends from that home area that I grew up with that, you know, we still keep in close contact with even through all these years. And then going up to Penn State, Wilkesbury, you know, again, it wasn't like the, the huge major city. You had Wilkesbury there so that you could kind of get the city feel, if you will. Yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> again, I, I didn't travel too much in there because you think the roads are bad in yeah. Lebanon. Really? Yeah, that, that I, no exper- I experienced my first five-way intersection in Wilkesbury, and I had no idea what I you know, wait. What, what would you say? A five-way intersection. A five-way intersection. So it was like a, a your normal four-way, four-way? intersection, okay. and they just kind of throw one in out of nowhere. Oh shit! And it's like you, you got 
one or two traffic lights conducting <laughs> traffic for all five intersections. That sounds I'm dangerous. Like, yeah, it's like this huge, you know, intersection in the middle. I'm like, what do I do? Right, right. You go. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I go. You know? And it's like, you know, I, I'm still a kid. You know, I've hmm. only been driving for a few years. Yeah. Never really got any, like, crazy experience with, like, major city traffic. Right. So, you know, you're driving through the middle of Wilkesbury at rush hour, and, you know, you're, like, white knuckling. <laughs> white knuckling. <laughs> yeah. I can picture it. Yeah. Um, anyway, meeting my wife. My lovely wife, Hannah. Shout out to her. Shout out to Hannah for she, real. She's my rock, man. Yeah. She is... Phenomenal woman. Phenomenal. Yeah. Couldn't say it better myself. She she keeps... Yeah, cheers to that. Cheers to that. Take a drink. She keeps me... She keeps me grounded, but she is the most loving, supportive woman I could ever ask for. Yeah. Uh, she, she keeps me saying I drive her nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure Courtney would say the same about me. Yeah. yeah. We met through um, the Lion Ambassador Club. So that's the uh, club on campus that you see, like, the tour guides giving the tours to the potential students and stuff. They're called Lion Ambassadors. Okay. So I, I met her there. Um, and you mean lion, like, rawr. Yeah, like the Nittany Lion. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good impression. There. Yeah, pretty close, right? <laughs> um, okay. So I, I met her through that, and then through other friends that were in that club we were able to kind of meet up at a birthday party so it was a a birthday party for a mutual friend i went over and we just ended up staying up all night just talking you know we we hit it off kind of had a thing for each other you know but we just we stayed up all night just talking about anything and everything getting to know each other yeah yeah and i mean I didn't want to, didn't want to think it because I thought I was Russian, but you know, I, I met her and I'm like, pretty sure she's the one, you know? Yeah. And you get that feeling when you know, you know, exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. So, um, we really hit it off at that, that birthday party stayed up all night talking, had a lion ambassador function the next day. I was in the lion suit. What? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? You were in the lion suit? Yeah. So No way. Yeah. I so I, I was in the lion suit that day, and that, I'll tell you, I was a pretty tired lion. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I, I, yeah. They're, they're usually upbeat, but that one, his tail was dragging a little bit, you know? <laughs> so, uh, okay. So Hannah's given tours. Were you also giving tours? Or? Yeah. So she, okay. she was a class ahead of me, and um, I joined as a freshman, and she was a sophomore. So she had already kind of gone through the training process of it. Um, so she was one of the members that were training the freshmen on how to give tours, you know, what to say, walking backwards. That's always a, a big oh, key point about the line. That's important, yeah. right? You got to watch that step. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, make sure you don't drag your feet. Cause if you catch this, mm. this uneven sidewalk, you're, you're going done. Down. Yeah. You're done. <laughs> Almost got a high step it a little bit, right. but so she was one of the, line ambassadors that was in charge of training the the freshmen so that's kind of how we started like talking you know i'd shoot her a message and be like hey you know can you help me with a a tour but you know i just wanted to hang out with her yeah hang out with her try to get to know her a little bit better and yeah it worked (laughs) i I will say um up at penn state wilkesbury when i was there the guy to girl ratio was like five to one and being in the survey program i it was even slimmer. It was like 15 to 1. Even now, as you're going through life, it can be somebody from now or from back then. Who inspired you or has been a mentor in your life so far? I've 
I've been fortunate enough to have many mentors throughout my life. You know, my, my family, they're huge, you know, as far as my, my music, you know, my, my grandmother, my aunt, my mom, my dad, my uncles, you know, I, I think I've developed a pretty strong work ethic that I got from my dad and my grandfathers, you know, various teachers growing up with the educational aspect at Gail up at Penn State Wilkesbury, you know, she's, she got me through college. Shout out to Gail. <laughs> Shout Let's out go. to Gail. Cheers to Gail. As far as surveying goes, you know, my, my professors, they, they taught me a lot. Um, but I think my, my work experience has been the greatest learning ability for, for surveying by far. All of, all of my bosses through the jobs, um, I, I kind of bounced around a lot because I was young trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, surveying, we'll get into that later, but it, it's a very broad subject. You know, it covers a lot of ground, and I wanted to try and get a little bit of experience in each to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah, makes sense. So each of my bosses at each of my jobs, you know, they, they taught me what's good, what's bad, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and why. Yeah. And, and I think that's the most important part. Like you can know something, but you don't really fully comprehend it until you know why. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. That's deep. That <laughs> is. It really is. That's always kind of been my favorite question. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. I like that. It's a perfect segue. So why did you choose to pursue surveying as a career? I mean, I know as you're younger, you know, like you said, you're reading the signs, you, you would learn that way. What really drew you in to surveying? Cause I feel like it's not kind of like printing, like here, here at color tech creative solutions, you know, it's not an industry that is promoted. You know, everybody wants to be a designer. It's or, very niche. Yeah. It's very niche. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I fully stumbled on it. But I, I think a big part of it, like I said before, was the, the drafting and the map making part of it. As as okay. you know, for those that don't, Color Tech Creative Solutions was able to print off a uh, blueprint that I had of one of the buildings on the family farm back home. Yeah, it turned out really well. <laughs> it did. Yeah. And it's uh, hanging right above my monitors on the wall. So um, I, I always had a a thing for maps. And seeing that surveying was a big part of map making and cartography in general, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what really led me down the road of surveying. And again, when I went in, I had no idea it covered as much as it does. So I'm, I'm glad I stumbled on it. I'm glad that I stuck with it, even when times were tough in college. Right. You know, I, I didn't just take the easy way out. I stuck with it. I got a job. And it, it's been nothing but a learning experience ever since then. To fast forward from Penn State Wilkesbury, you are now survey manager at Keystone Custom Homes down in Lancaster. What all does that entail? So, as the survey manager, my main duties are from the manage, management perspective is making sure that the other members on our team have a, a workload that they can kind of manage the survey workload and scheduling the cool thing about working at keystone is before i came the amount of survey work that was going on was kind of 
minimal. Okay. Um, you know, they were they were doing stakeout for houses, um, you know, laying out the foundations and yeah. stuff like that. But once I started, I was kind of able to take my knowledge and experience from past jobs as well as with the support of my manager and kind of run with it. You know, we, we were able to acquire the drones and get more accurate data quicker to provide to the rest of the members on our team, making maps that we can share with other members of our team that we weren't able to do before. So it's, it's been an experience to, that I'd kind of have outside of the consulting world that, you know, I only have basically one client, if you will. Yeah. And it's my employer. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. So they say, Hey, you know, can we do this with surveying? And I'll say, I'll take a look into it, see if we can do it. If we can yeah. do it. Great. If not, we try and find an alternative. So, and you still get to spend a lot of your time outdoors. I mean, I, I know you have, from knowing you personally, I know you have a, a company truck, you yep. know, so so you're not stuck behind a desk, which is something that you, you didn't want to do. But I still get to do the map making, which is a repeated. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's part yes. of the job. So, I, you know, I, I get the full experience. I get to go out yeah. in the field. I get to collect the data. And then I get to come back into the office, and I get to make a plan out of it and give it to... whoever needs it gotcha and with the advances in technology you know 10 years ago drones were just starting to come out you know they certainly weren't being used for surveying so right the technology has advanced so much over the the last 10 years that there's so much more data to really be able to use yeah and and you can utilize drones to get to you know to get to places where people can't right exactly i do want to backtrack a little bit here sure and hit me up poke your brain here oh shit so before you met me Mm -hmm. okay before i met shep yes yeah before you met shep all right did you know what surveying was (sighs) honestly i didn't know what surveying was my stepfather's an engineer so i knew what that was but no i didn't know what surveying was you see the people on the side of the road with their gizmos and gadgets doing yeah. their thing, but no, I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know. So even now, what is surveying now that you know Shep? Well, man, this is going to be, okay, this is my, Putting you on the spot. my take on surveying. Surveying is, it's it's a mix of housing developments, roads. Surveying, I guess, is a part of everything, you know, that that is important to the way you travel, the way you live. A surveyor, I would guess, would have to be a part of everything. Like I said, you want to build a home, there's a survey involved. You want to build a road, there's a survey involved. You want to build a bridge, there's definitely surveying involved. Without a surveyor, you can't do you can't build much, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a good answer. I'm sorry if I didn't hit it on the nail. But no, I mean for for somebody outside of the surveying realm, I, you know, in the printing industry, that's a, a that's thank a great you. answer right. for what if surveying I, is. If I didn't hit right on the head, like right. I said. So the the watered down version of what surveying is, we measure the earth Damn. horizontally and vertically. Whether it's for a boundary survey, you know, if you want to know where your property corners are, mm-hmm. that's that's surveying. If they're building a warehouse. They need to know where the warehouse is going to be horizontally located. That's surveying. That's surveying. Yep. For the civil engineers to design the warehouse or design the community, design the road, whatever, they need a surveyor to go in and locate all of the information 
to build that design. So, I mean, surveyors are with any sort of infrastructure project, first, first people on site measuring. I mean, you guys, you you start the ball rolling. Yeah. A lot of times we're the first ones in last ones out. There you go. Cause a lot of, a lot of the municipal requirements is um, verifying that it was built per plan. Okay. So how do you locate a building that was constructed and make sure it was built per plan? You need a surveyor. Call a surveyor. Call a surveyor. I love it. Call a surveyor. You so, got it. That kind of answered my next question. Uh, why is surveying important to society? I, I gave you the watered-down version of what the uh, what surveying is. Yeah, but another another duty of the surveyor is to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. So by doing everything that I explained previously, we're we're doing that because you want to make sure that the building is built where it's supposed to. You want to make sure that, you know, somebody isn't putting a shed that isn't on their property. Right. You want to make sure that when it rains, the water is going into the inlets and, you know, yeah. not staying on the road right. so it doesn't cause an accident, you know, and all of that it's very important. pertains to surveying. I mean, civil engineering is definitely a big part of it. They're making the designs to work, but without that initial data from the surveyor, it's like trying to put a puzzle together when you don't know what the end result is. Yeah, that's frustrating for sure. What do you see, you know, you're in surveying, it's your career, it's your livelihood. What do you see as the future for surveying and surveyors? I will say the future of surveying is definitely bright. Since I've graduated college, I've noticed that there's more and more need for surveyors just because of like the the technology with how it's developed and the things we're capable of doing and the data we're capable of acquiring, it's being used in more applications than ever before. But one of the major concerns that everybody in the industry has kind of been pushing to resolve is the lack of surveyors. Well, it's gotta be a big issue. I don't know the exact statistic, but I know like the, the national average of age of a surveyor is well over 50. Wow. Li- a licensed surveyor. Yeah. Getting close to retirement. Yeah. So yeah. Th- they're all getting close to retirement. I know when the recession, the recession hit back in 08, that kind of took a, a lot of guys out of the game. You know, they, they either went on to a different path or just kind of retired early, what have you. But there's definitely a lack of surveyors. Jobs are posted and they're just sitting out for six months or more because they can't find anybody. It's brutal. Yeah. That's been a a big push to try and develop the next generation of surveyors to kind of take the, the ones that are on their way to retirement. Right. And that segues into Pennsylvania Young Surveyors Network, which you're a part of. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. What's your role and how are you educating and, and I guess bringing up these future surveyors, right? To, uh, to help better Pennsylvania. The National Society of Professional Surveyors has a, I don't want to say student chapter, but a, a chapter of the National Society, which is the Young Surveyors Network. Yeah. And within that Young Surveyors Network, we have a, a structure of national officers, and then each state has the capability to have their own like state chapter of the Young Surveyors Network. So I'm the state coordinator for the Pennsylvania chapter of the Young Surveyors Cheers Network. Cheers to that. Cheers to have that. Have a drink, Shep. Have and, a drink. Uh, the big focus for the Young Surveyors is to 
build a mentorship program with those that are on their way to retirement, you know, make yeah. sure that we're getting all the information we can get to become better surveyors, make sure we're staying um, up to date with the, the latest technology and just kind of have a group to, of like-minded individuals that yeah. you can relate to, to just talk about the job. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, support each other. Talk talk shop, and uh, once the veterans kind of retire, you you lose that knowledge. Yeah. So it's it's important to capture that. And surveying, in some aspects, is definitely an art. Yeah. You know, there's a lot, especially when it comes to uh, property surveying and boundary yeah. surveys. When you get into the more rural areas, they're calling out rock piles. They're calling out deeds from the 1850s that are saying, you know the property corner is a cherry tree or a tree stump. Well, if it was a tree stump in the 1850s, I doubt it's anything there now, but there's, so there's definitely an art when it comes to recovering that, that evidence. It's almost like a treasure hunt. Yeah. Which I I think is pretty cool. It keeps it exciting for (laughs) real. Yeah. Yeah. So you take these deeds, which is basically your map and plot up the, the property as it's described and they'll call out what the corners are supposed to be. And then it's, you know, here's a blank slate of land, find one. Yeah. And then try and find the others from that one. So, wow. yeah, it's definitely an art. And the, a lot of the guys that have been in the game for a long time, they've gathered that experience because there wasn't always surveying has been around as, you know, back in Egyptian times, really, yeah. even probably before that. As long as there's been land, there's probably been surveyors. Since surveying's been around so long, a lot of the skills to it have been passed down from generation to generation. generation. Right, right. So, you know, now that we have the, the educational aspect, there's still that mentorship with the actual work experience and that the younger generation needs to get from those that are more experienced than them. Exactly. Once that knowledge is lost, it, it's gone forever. You yeah. Know, like, and it's going to take yeah. twice as long to replicate if, exactly. if, if at all, if, if at all, exactly right. Yeah. So for other young people, you know, that are looking to get involved and start a career in surveying, what's the best Avenue you'd recommend for them to take? Talk to a surveyor. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. It, nobody's going to be able to explain surveying better to you than a surveyor. Just like I did to you. Yeah. You know, it, learn something new. Yep. So, yeah. and, you know, ask somebody off the street what's a surveyor. And they're like, oh, you know, they go door to door asking questions. And it's like, well, you're not wrong. But as far as a land surveyor, oh, well, that's the guy that stands on the side of the road with the camera. It's not a camera. You know, to, to really get as much information as you want about a surveyor, talk to a surveyor. Definitely guidance counselors, school counselors, Google. <laughs> yeah. You can't, can't, can't yeah. go wrong with Google. Yeah, exactly. But um, if you want to really get like the experience, just talk to a surveyor because they, they know the situation, they know the job, and they would be more than willing to, if they see somebody interested, they'd be more than willing to share the information about the job. And, and to teach the next generation. Absolutely. To help them out. Absolutely. Perfect, yeah. Now to transition to the drone, which you brought, and that's just a little drone. I've yeah. Seen, I've seen your big one. Yeah. <laughs> and I think your big one that you fly is like the price of a car uh, for those it that are listening. wouldn't fit on a table, that's for it sure. It would not fit on the table, no. <laughs> yeah. So can you explain the process of becoming drone certified and how does that you know, benefit your career and what you're doing? My license is 
the proper name is uh, Part 107 certification through the FAA. Okay. Um, Part 107 is their rule book pertaining to unmanned drones, basically. There's a lot of course information online. At the end of the day, you need to take a test on, that the FAA gives out to get certified and then get recertified every two years. The avenue I took was I found a online course program that it was like a monthly subscription. You pay a couple bucks a month and they have all these videos that walk you through everything you need to know to be a drone pilot. And it's, it's kind of funny because like everything that I had to go through, like I had to learn how to read like the, the flight maps, um, prepare flight plans, a lot of stuff that like your commercial, I was say professional airplane pilots. Yeah. As a lot of what they need to go through, you need to have a, you need to know what they have to go through so you have an understanding because you're going to be flying up in the air at the same time as them. So you need to have that understanding in order to be a safe, competent drone pilot. Um, and then what was the second part of the question? Yeah, so I, I said, what, it, what is the process to becoming drone certified? Yep. Um, you know, and then also for the listeners, because I know roughly, but can you give a rough estimate or price of these drones you're flying the price of the drones vary i mean this one is i think you know 15 bucks or yeah 15 bucks 1500 bucks you know you can get a a professional quality small drone for you know around a thousand but depending on the drone itself as well as the payload okay you know you you could probably easily get into six figures because i mean think about it how much does your camera equipment cost well, if if you had top of the line, brand new, brand new, best of the best photo equipment, probably looking at just for the camera body, eight to ten grand for brand new, and then okay. you got a lens that's another five or six thousand. Yep, and then yeah. you got your filters and right, and you got batteries, your flash your battery. So okay, you could be looking close to an investment, probably. 10 to 20 grand depending on how much equipment you're getting okay and then throw that on top of a drone that can vary from you know obviously this one little one isn't gonna hold a a nikon d80 or anything like that but (laughs) right right (laughs) you know if you get a big camera you can put that on the big drone and i mean that's yeah you know those well get into anywhere from i don't know 10 to maybe fifty thousand. yeah i think there's guys that actually build their own drones too Really? Yeah. Now they have to go through wow. the FAA registration and everything. That's wild. But it really I, is. I, I haven't do- dove that deep into the, so <laughs> into you, the drone world. You're, the brand you use is DJI. Yeah. Uh, both of our drones are DJI. This is okay. the one I have with me here is a, a Mavic 2 Pro. And, and we, we use that for site inspections, random photos. If we need to yeah. get a picture of a certain area of a site, we'll do a fly around a 360 of the, the site to kind of give a visual representation what it looks like yeah there will be photos on facebook and instagram american Grown podcast because it is pretty neat like i've seen your your big one which obviously i don't even know if you could bring through the the door here at the studio but uh, it's basically in a luggage case you know it it got the handle and the wheels and the battery case itself is like a oversized suitcase yeah and that thing probably weighs like 40 pounds it's huge those batteries are heavy so when you're flying something that magnitude and that cost 
Do you feel your nerve a little bit? Oh, every time that thing goes up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nervous. Because it's all on you. There's nobody else. I mean, right. it's just you and, and the drone. With the, the kind of mapping that I do with the, the big drone, it's all automated. So, like, at, if it comes down to it, I can manually take over control of the drone. But for it to do what it needs to do, you know, I make the flight plan. I tell it what elevation to fly at. I say what speed to fly at. Yeah. And then it just goes up and does it. Wow. And yeah. it, so a drone benefits you by mapping out the whole area for like residential, like you're going to build some homes and stuff. So I, I can fly an entire site with a, uh, we have what's called a LIDAR unit on the okay. bottom. So it's uh, basically shoots a laser beam or a bunch of laser beams in a high density down at the ground. And then those lasers bounce back, it measures the amount of time in between to give you the elevation difference and then there's a gps built into the drone as well as one on the ground to give you your horizontal orientation it's all automated it covers a larger area in a shorter amount of time so you know we can fly 100 acres in an hour for me to try and really walk 100 acres it's gonna take time and locate all of the variation in the in the grade and the topography weeks so it cuts your your time significantly yeah and it benefits the surveyors i don't want to say less work for you but it's it's more efficient it's more efficient i mean there's definitely some caveats to it because you know you got to you got to know the limitations of your equipment yeah so depending on what you're trying to do you know nothing's if you're trying to get high grade accuracy stuff nothing's going to be going out and like doing a field verification if you're just looking for a rough estimate, you know, depending on the site conditions and what equipment you have, yeah, you know, it's it's not a end all be all for surveying. It's it's definitely a tool in the toolbox that you need to know the limitations of and use it accordingly. While you're out there flying the drones, you go to some remote areas. Um, what is it about the great outdoors that you really like? Just being one with nature. You know, not nothing beats nothing <laughs> you there know you, go. you, you yeah. got you, you got the trees you got the the wildlife and you got yourself you know it, it's a great time for self-reflection it's a great time to you know relax <laughs> yeah just you and your thoughts really yeah which you know can be a blessing and a curse depending on the situation but and nature definitely is one, one of the better places to just kind of unwind we uh I t- recently took a trip out to Benazet, Elk County, and it was nothing around. You know, we stayed at a cabin in the woods. You had to go two miles back a dirt road. Beautiful. And it was just you and nature. And I have never been less stressed and felt closer to God, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it's just, it's so tranquil. We probably have no phone service. You know, no, it's no, no phone service. You know, there's the daylight wakes you up. You know, because it, it's a cabin, so you're not going to have like the light blocking curtains or anything. Yeah. So sun, you know, middle of summer, early fall, sun rises, you get up. You know, the whole earth kind of wakes right, up, and right. you just you go for a walk, see where it's at, and just absorb it all in, and it's so relaxing. I I agree a hundred percent. Anytime you can get away from not only work but just i feel like society in general and just you your friends your family whatever it is and just sit by a campfire you can't beat it yeah 
and that and that's something that I've really learned to appreciate growing up where I did because it's you know you're you're a kid you grew up and you know the first thing you want to do is get out of the house right right exactly. so I was like you know I'm gonna get out of the house I gotta you know go somewhere if if I don't get out of the valley I'm never gonna leave right and looking back it's like I didn't realize how good I had it yeah you know the, the view I had from my bedroom window you know I got the whole mountain jeez and beautiful yeah. But and you don't like, realize it when you're young. You didn't realize it. You young know, and dumb. Young and dumb, exactly. And, you know, what I wouldn't give to go back and appreciate all that I had back then, for real. For real, yeah. yeah. I'm with you. Maybe I'll edit this out. My wife, I always, I always get this quote wrong from the office. Something like, you wish you knew you're in the good old days before you left them. And maybe you know it better. I don't. I've only seen the office once. Okay, but it's from the <laughs> office, and my wife, she'll correct me. But for the listeners that watch The Office, you know what I'm talking about. That's when Andy says that quote, and it's just like, you don't realize that you're you're living some of the best moments in your life. Like for me, yeah. You don't know what you got till it's gone. You don't, exactly, yep. exactly. My grandfather and uh, my grandmother on the Sullivan side of the family, they'd always make this chicken barbecue. God, it's some of the best chicken barbecue. And now that uh, my grandfather's older, my grandma had a stroke, it's like, you know, it's just, uh, you miss that stuff. You really do. Um, but anyway, it's not about me. It's about you, Shep. Uh, a quote that kind of stands out Please. from what you said. Don't sweat the petty stuff mm. and don't pet the sweaty stuff. I like that. That's <laughs> a good one. That is a real good one. Yeah, for real. So, you know, enjoy enjoy those moments, whether you're, you know, younger or older. Enjoy the, the time you have with the people you have it with. Now, you have quite a few hobbies including playing the piano, which we hinted at earlier, Yeah, building with Lego, which I'm a big fan of. But then you also work part-time at the AACA, which for all of the listeners is the Antique Automobile Club of America. Museum. Museum. Yep. So tell us a little bit about each of those things. Well, we'll work backwards. Okay. So the AACA Museum, I've been working there for about five years now. It's the... It was our wedding venue. Nice. Yeah, that's that's kind of what got me there. Yeah. I've always had a, an appreciation for old cars. I had a, a 1953 Dodge pickup that my great-grandmother owned. Oh, wow. And I did a full frame-off restoration on it. Wow. Took Took it, completely tore it down, nuts and bolts, bare frame, cleaned everything up. How long did that take you? Nights and weekends for three years. Did you do it by yourself? I had help. Yeah, um, there there was a body shop that was able to kind of store it for me, and get, they did the paint for me, helped me out. Um, Dylan, he helped me out quite a bit with some of the small parts. Um, yeah, with like putting things together, an extra set of hands. My dad came down, he helped me um, do some troubleshooting with the, the brake lines because, yeah, had to bend them all by hand. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> it was fun. But yeah, so I mean that that was quite an experience, and I'm glad that I was able to find the museum. I mean, God bless Hannah. When we were looking for a wedding venue, you know, we were trying to do the barns because you know that was a big thing back then. Oh yeah, that's and the thing. Yeah. The pricing that they wanted were crazy. You know, like there was a, a place that's like, you know, we're gonna charge you a couple thousand bucks for a barn, and that's it. 
you got to yeah. bring your own toilet paper. You got to bring your own tablecloths, <laughs> chairs, right, yeah. everything. Right. So, right, right. And she, you know, was looking, shopping for wedding, or, you know, shopping around for wedding venues. And yeah, she's like, what do yeah. you think about getting married in a classic car museum? And I'm like, Speaking my language. Yeah. Why? Why would you even ask me that? You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Like th- that. That question alone was enough to marry you right there. <laughs> yeah. Like just call it. <laughs> yeah. Let's make it happen. So right. yeah. So we went down. We did a tour. Absolutely fell in love with it. And our um, event coordinator was like, "Hey, you know, if you're interested and you're in the area, you know, we're looking for help for event staff." And I'm like, "Oh, what's event staff?" And they're like, "So we, you know, have these weddings and everything else." Whenever we have these events, we have to move the cars. I'm like, you mean you're willing to pay me to move antique cars? They trust you to move antique cars. There was definitely extensive training. Okay. (laughs) I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't jumping in the the firebird the first day, you know, it was like you sit and watch, make sure I don't hit anything. And, um, it's been history ever since then, you know? Wow. (laughs) It's, it's fun to do. It's great to see all the different cars that come in and out because they have rotating exhibits. As far as the piano goes, you know, <laughs> you know my capabilities very oh, well. Oh, I know them very well. So for the <laughs> listeners, and maybe I'll put the video on Facebook and Instagram. I feel like I should. I I feel like you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have to. So um, you Sully's want, yeah, yeah, Sully's thirtieth birthday party. Thirtieth birthday party. Right. Um, had it local here at one of the fire companies. Had a DJ. And um, Piano Man comes on. So Piano Man is greatest song ever. Oh, yeah. Right? Can't beat it. And since I've been playing piano for a majority of my life, when I found Piano Man, I'm like, I need to learn how to play that. So, you know, all through high school, I'm trying to find whatever music I can to learn piano man mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. you know there, there was a few drinks that happened there was more than a few but yes um <laughs> and piano man came on and i'm like hey there's a piano up there i should go play it and you know sully being the big supportive friend that you were you're like you should go do it you know nothing but love brother yeah. nothing but love <laughs> no peer pressure at all yeah so i i went up to the piano and talked you know kind of waddled around the dj and said oh i'm gonna play this i'm gonna play this and they're like yeah right you know this is just another you know, drunk guy that's going to make a fool of himself. And I, I think I did half decent. You crushed it, dude. And Oh, I'm I, posting I, the video. I think my favorite part... Let the listeners decide, ...is you had no idea. That no. Was, that was the first time you knew know. that I, I played piano. Yeah, I had no clue you could play the piano. So, you know, it's my 30th birthday party, family, friends, pretty good-sized group at this fire hall. And, yeah, you just... Your jaw dropped. It did. It really did. I was shocked because it was <laughs> awesome. It was so cool. I'm like, but oh, yeah, I will say that that's the only time that I've ever played piano and sang at the same time. Yeah. I don't sing. Puberty did me dirty. <laughs> I, I used to have a decent singing voice and then yeah. voice started cracking, <laughs> dropped down an, an octave or so. And it's just been. That was it. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that was uh, that was a special moment for my thirtieth birthday party. That was that was awesome because yeah. I did not see it coming. And uh, some people are like, oh, you know, Shep's trying to uh, steal the show, or, or what's he doing? And I'm like, no, that's what I want. Like that's something <laughs> special. That's a moment, you know, that 
it'll never happen again. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, it was really cool. So, no, I'm glad that you got the courage to go up there. Maybe with some liquid courage. Yeah, there was definitely liquid courage <laughs> but, involved, especially for singing. Yeah, but, no, I, I appreciate that very much. And then, you know, that kind of segues into our love of, of Lego. And you have a, an actual grand piano, I think it is. Yeah, so um, Lego came out with a, a grand piano. And I think it's more geared more towards adults for sure because I mean, for sure they they know that the, the lego marketing team does a fantastic job they know that it's something that both kids and adults can enjoy yeah. together you know they have the sets for the kids and then they make some more extensive sets for the adults right yeah i got the piano after coming back from a trip to disney because i didn't want to try and fly back with a no that sounds like a headache yeah yeah exactly <laughs> extra fee so we got back yeah. to the airport went to the lego store i bought that that was my vacation splurge right yeah and i i think it was like 3500 pieces 20 it was broken up into i think 28 different bags and it took me almost two weeks to build but the really cool part is they have a uh, Bluetooth thing that kind of ties into it that you get an app on your phone and it's it's basically a player piano. So you you know pick a song and say play and it syncs to the Bluetooth and then the, the keys move up and down and then there's a speaker inside that plays the tune and it's really cool. It is really cool. When I saw it the first time, I'm like, you almost couldn't believe it was made out of Lego. Right. You know, uh, tools for grown adults. Exactly. Like toys for grown adults. Toys or tools. I mean, if you're getting into surveying, I guess, you know, Legos could be, you know, beneficial, really. I, I decorate my office with a, uh, I have a claw machine that you would find like a excavator or like yeah. a, at a junkyard, like the, the things you see pull the motors out of the car. Right. I have a Lego version of that that I have sitting up in my office. There you go. You know, it has a, battery pack to it that you can move some arms and the arm goes up and down and the claw yeah. opens and closes and next on my list is a, a remote control bulldozer no way yeah made out of lego yeah it's all lego wow. it's it's in the technic brand but it it's okay. pretty it's pretty salty so yeah. i need to you know get my priorities and straight before, right. before i go and and i see you brought a lego piece with you so we'll talk about that in a little bit because I, yeah. I got one more question so this next question i kind of asked to every guest in one way or another. Uh, but what would you say motivates you day in and day out to be the best version of yourself? From a surveying perspective, because let's be honest, that's yeah. the majority of what I do. You always need to be the best surveyor you can be. And in order to do that, you need to be a sponge. Yeah. You, you got to learn as much as you can about it, as much as you can. And all in all, I mean, it helps you be a better surveyor, but it definitely helps you be a better person as well. You know, it's it's not all just numbers and math and dirt and, you know, everything else. It's, you know, relations with people, with your clients, management, you know, how to talk to people and not be micromanaging or, you know, barking orders left and right. I always try to be the person that I would have wanted as a coworker or mm -hmm. boss when I was going through the ranks, yeah. if, if you will. Because, you know, I've had great bosses. I've had, I don't want to say terrible bosses, but yeah. our, our personalities clashed. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so sure. um, I always try to, you know, keep a level head and try and look at it from all perspectives. Yeah. Because, I'm, you know, everybody's going to have their opinion, and it's definitely going to differ from yours. Mm -hmm. But 
the reasons why they may think that, once you understand that, you'll have more of a respect for it. It's kind of like the golden rule, but it's not quite... I see what you're saying. You want to have that respect from the people that are following behind you, you know, these younger people. But at the same time, you know, you want to educate them, teach them as much as you can, and just be professional. And, you know, they say there's three sides to every story, yours, theirs, and the truth. There you go, yeah. If if you can get as, you know, take out the truth, I mean, even just the two sides. If you know and understand yours, obviously, but if you also are willing to know and understand theirs, again, it all comes down to the why. You know, why I understand you think different than me, why? And once you understand that why, it gives you a new perspective. Yeah. That you can both reflect on and potentially use exactly. down the line. Well, to have that conversation and then to grow and learn from it. You know, like you exactly. said, it benefits both parties. It, you got to be a sponge, man. Yeah. That's, that's the only way you're going to get through life. There you go. Be a sponge. Exactly. So now you brought with you uh, three items yep. um, for the listeners. What are they? Uh, photos will be online, but... Uh, yeah, let's start with the Lego piece. So this is a, <laughs> I, I really, it's a Lego surveyor. I could tell. Um, you got nerdy on me. Yeah, I, love I, it. I got real nerdy. So this yeah. was actually a, a promotional item from the equipment manufacturer that they had. And when we bought some equipment, I was like, oh, hey, you know, th- they threw this in. Okay. And I thought it was the coolest thing because, you know, I'm, I'm a Lego geek. So yeah. all of these are basically my office decorations with the exception of the drone but yeah i got i got my lego surveyor he's right next to the lego excavator i was talking to you about i have a uh, die cast model of a 1948 dodge pickup so mine's a a 53 but this is the basis of what it looks like to remember my grandmother who's since passed as well as all of the blood sweat and tears that went into restoring it um because that was a good reminder that you can do anything you put your mind to, you know. Yeah. I'm not a mechanic by any means, but I wanted to restore this since I was 15. Wow. And I finally got enough courage and gumption and a little bit of money (laughs) to actually be able to do it. To give it a go, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd put this right next to the window just to remind myself that, you know, you can do anything as long as you put your mind to it. And then the other thing I brought with was the the Mavic 2 Pro, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, with your, your items and you being, honestly, probably you're probably one of my, you're probably the top fan. It's you, it's my mom, it's Courtney, and it's probably some other good friends. Uh, a guy named Fred Long, who his episode will be coming out before this one, you know, and I appreciate that. But with it being the one-year anniversary what would you say is your favorite episode of the American Grown Podcast? I think that every single episode of the American Grown Podcast has been absolutely fantastic. I think that there are definitely things that you can pull from every single guest that's been on their story, and you can use their story in your own story. But if I had to pick a top one, I'm, I'm going to pick two. Ooh, okay, you're going to pick two, all right. So the first one is episode one, Coach Bear. Coach Bear. Dude is an absolute 
inspiration, motivational speaker, overall great guy. I could tell that just from listening to it. Mm -hmm. I listened to that one. You know, it was like, okay, episode one, Sully's got a podcast. It's probably going to be a little rough around the edges. And both of you just absolutely killed it. And he makes it, he made it so easy to talk to him. You know, like, I don't know the guy. And just listening to it, you could tell what kind of person he is. And my second favorite is the one where you were sitting on this side of the table. Oh, with my wife, Courtney. Yeah. Interviewing me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was completely blindsided by that when she did the introduction. I'm like, you know what? I think this is going to be good. And, you know, getting to be able to hear your, your story yeah. and why you do what you do and why you do this. I mean, it it's fantastic. Yeah. You got a great thing going here. Oh, thanks, Chip. I, so, I appreciate that. With that. I want to ask you a few questions. All right. Turn the tables. Let's go. If anybody's still listening, this should be interesting because the bourbons have gone. So please fire away. So you've been doing this a year now, right? Yeah. 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 What has been the hardest part? The hardest part, I would say, and this isn't like a glamorous answer, but it is editing of the podcast and creating content that I feel is is worthy for people to listen to you know there's so much out on social media it's like why should people give their time to the American Home Podcast and I feel like it's because it's local business owners nonprofits, veterans people like yourself uh, everybody has a story you know so I try to capture that in the best in the best light the best way I can I try to produce social media content that people will listen to but a lot of it is the behind the scenes that people don't see um, or don't hear. And that can be the hardest part for sure. Okay. And the, the other question I wanted to ask, which kind of kind of goes off of this, but the second question I wanted to ask was basically the opposite. So since you've been doing this for a year, what's been the high point wow. of the American Grown Podcast so far? The high point... Yeah, for sure. Is is meeting new people, right? All throughout Pennsylvania. I mean, I've had I've had people come from Allentown, Mechanicsburg, um, here in Lebanon County, and you know, it's it's hearing their stories. I've had people come from Lancaster, and meeting people that I don't even know. You know, in this case, we're good friends. Hell, I'd say we're best friends. So we have some background. You know, we we know each other, but yeah. it's learning from learning from these people that I don't know and getting their experience and. If people are still listening, thank you. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's been an hour. Woof. Yeah, woof, right. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, my my plan is going forward is to release a new episode once a week. I That was going to be my next question. next question. What's the next year of the American Grown Podcast going to look like? So the next year is, is my goal with my wife, Courtney. She's going to help me out and be my PR person um, is to release an episode once a week. So what that means is uh, it's going to be a lot more interviews and a lot more just on the back end, creating social media content, you know, getting Courtney involved. She'll reach out to people and, and she knows my schedule better than I do, if I'm being <laughs> honest. And you know, Chef, you know how this yep. goes. So, you know, just getting people on the show because I have an abundance. I have almost, I have 70 close to 80 people that have filled out the form. There's a form to be on the podcast. Yep. You know, it's just so I can better know people and, and what they want to talk about. Um, so I have an abundance of people that want to be on the on the podcast, want to speak their truth, want to tell their story. Yeah, I'm excited to, 
to do that. It's going to be a big commitment. Uh, but I think it's kind of the next step. This once a week for a year, it's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It allows me some flex time to to not be, you know, hey, I got to produce an episode. But I think in order for the podcast to grow, I think it's time to do a new episode of the American Grown Podcast every Wednesday morning. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You know it better than I do. Yeah, Google, <laughs> Google Podcasts. Don't Google forget podcasts, Google. Yeah. For those Android users, we uh, are on Google Podcasts. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on yeah. the Apple wagon. but So, no, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. Like I said, meeting new people. You know, I have a full-time job selling print here at Color Tech, along with doing photography for, for Blue Cardinal Photography here in Lebanon County. A lot of people know that because we cover all the high schools, Lebanon Valley College as well. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes I, I bite off more than I can chew, but I feel like this is a need. I know a lot of people personally, professionally, friends, family, and then just people throughout the community that I want to shout out. And when I say community, I mean, it goes throughout Pennsylvania. If you're in Mechanicsburg, if you're in Allentown, if you're up in State College and you want to make the trip here to Lebanon County, we'll drink a bourbon, we'll have a drink, and we'll, you know, tell your story. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? No, I, that was it. That sums it up. All you right. did a great job. Did I do well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. I got a couple more questions for you. Uh, how can our listeners connect with you and follow along on your journey? Best way to get a hold of me is probably on LinkedIn, uh, Taylor Shepley, PLS, Facebook and Instagram. I, I have it, but I don't really use it for anything outside of like dog videos so yeah for bella <laughs> yeah shout out to bella shout, shout out to bella she's the, the four-legged child that everyone wants to have right exactly <laughs> so yeah linkedin's the best way to get a hold of me um if you want to follow the surveyor side or you want to you, you know you have questions about surveying um you want to follow the young surveyors network um just google nsps young surveyors network there's the state chapter has a PSLS Young Surveyors Network on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. So before we close out, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know? I think I've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both have, yeah. and the bourbon has for me. To close out, Taylor Shepley on the American Grown Podcast and the ColorTech Creative Solutions Studios, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Awesome, brother. Cheers to that. Cheers. To see photos of today's guests and more content, just search American Grown Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to be a featured guest on the podcast, please direct message or email Austin at AmericanGrownPod at gmail.com.